plane with a parachute or maybe without a parachute, bungee jumping, rock climbing without any sort of safety harnesses. What do you consider dangerous? What are the things that you consider dangerous? If you ever ask that question to Iran Ra, he will always give the same answer every single time because for him, what he considers most dangerous is the Christian faith. Just in case you don't recognize his name, Aran Ra is a very popular YouTube atheist, and he is one of many unbelievers who are popularizing the growing belief that religion in general, and Christianity in particular, is very dangerous to our society. And why would he say that? Because the book to which we depend our faith upon, i.e. the Bible in his mind, is filled with too many dangerous ideas, too many dangerous beliefs, too many dangerous uh, doctrines that if any group of individuals attempted to live it out within society, would become a clear and present danger to that said society. Recently, in a speech that he gave, he once said these words, quote, religion is predominantly evil and entirely deceitful and is frequently maliciously abusive, physically, mentally, and emotionally. It has historically always obstructed education and retarded or impeded progress in whatever application it has ever touched. All the worst atrocities in history were done in the name of religion and our greatest advances were made in opposition to it. I am an anti-theist because religion is factually, historically, ethically, and morally wrong, end quote. Loves the run-on sentences, doesn't he? <laughs> now, hopefully none of you in this room would ever agree with the sentiments of Mr. Ra and the atheists who echo his diatribe, but that doesn't mean that it is not a concern or an issue that you don't have to worry about because the fact of the matter is, this man's belief is becoming so pervasive and so popular that even our young ones are being exposed to it and being heavily influenced, including your kids. And so here is the question, Christian. How are you going to respond? And more importantly, how are you going to be able to disarm and defend against these kind of accusation, accusations, excuse me, against your Christian faith and hence against you? Well, that is the question that we hope today's sermon is going to answer. But first, we're finally finishing the sermon series that we've been on for the past few weeks on the I am sayings of Jesus. Seven statements of Christ, all recorded in the Gospel of John, where Jesus reveals something about himself by segueing it with the statement, I am. And today we look at the final I am statement that we find in John's Gospel, where Jesus says of himself, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And as we consider what Jesus means by that very familiar statement, we're going to come to see that in spite of what people like Aran Ra says, our faith is not dangerous to the world, quite the opposite. Our faith is actually the hope of the world and the greatest blessing the world could ever receive. And so with that established, three things I'd like to share with you from today's message. First, we're going to talk about the vine we tend to rely on. Number two, we're going to talk about the vine dresser we tend to prioritize. And then we're going to end it with the only fruit worth bearing. The vine we tend to rely on, the vine dresser we tend to prioritize, and finally, the only fruit worth bearing. Let's begin with the first point, the vine we tend to rely on. Read again with me, verse one of our passage where it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, for those of you who have been coming to our church for quite some time, you have heard me say many times that the Bible uses a lot of symbolic and metaphorical languages to convey deeper truths. And one recurring metaphor that the Bible employs to describe God's relationship to his people is the metaphor of the vine dresser to the vine. I draw your attention to Psalm chapter 80 where we read, You brought us from Egypt like a grapevine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into your land. You cleared the ground for us and we took 
root and filled the land. Take care of this great vine that you yourself have planted. Here we see this beautiful imagery of God's care and concern for his people represented through a grape vine, excuse me, a vine dresser's care and concern for his grapes. How? By providing a healthy, healthy, vibrant vine. Notice the details of verse 9. It says that the vine, what? Filled the land. Now, technically, it's not the vine that actually fills the land, but the branches that grow out of the vine, that is what grows and fills the land literally. And so what that tells us is that the primary concern of the vine dresser is not just the vine itself, but more importantly, it's the branches because it's the branches that produces the main thing the vine dresser is concerned for. That's where the fruit lies, okay? So with that detail in mind, here's something else to consider. These words of Psalm 80 are being spoken of in the context of the African and Middle Eastern desert. Egypt and the land of Canaan, the promised land, were very, very hot places. And so a vine dresser attempting to grow vines that are healthy and producing luscious fruit would be very difficult, which means that vine dresser needs to be especially committed, almost obsessively concerned for his grapes. And that's the same notion that is being conveyed about God and his people. God is especially committed. He's almost obsessively concerned for the well-being, for the flourishing, for the fruitfulness of his people and how does God do this? Just like the vine dresser, he provides a healthy vine. I know a lot of this is a little bit uh, detailed oriented and you can get so lost in the mix. So in the hopes of helping you remember of what all of this is saying, I came up with a little formula. going to geek out a little bit to you on this Sunday. And it goes like this. This is the formula that I think captures what our passage is saying. Fruitful grapes, God's people, equals healthy vine plus committed vine dresser, which is God's ongoing care and concern for the vines and the grapes. Now, I know by doing this, I am totally propagating that stereotype that we Asians are a bunch of math nerds, like, yay, arithmetic. But this formula, nevertheless, does convey the main essence of what our text is teaching. And it's basically this idea. In order for God's people to experience God's care, God's commitment, God's concern, it has to have a vine. Because it's the vine that communicates, that conveys, that is the conduit of God's care, concern, and care upon us, okay? So in other words, God's people desperately rely on what is known as the vine. You and I need a vine in order to live a flourishing, fruitful, flavor-filled life. That is what scripture says. Now here's the thing. According to Jesus in verse 1, it's not only God's people that rely on a metaphorical vine, but all people everywhere. Listen again to what he says, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Here's the question. Why does Jesus describe himself in such absolute universal terms? Why does he say, I am the true vine? Why not just say, I am this kind of a vine, or I'm this sort of a vine, or just simply, I am a vine? Why does he use the definite article? Why does he emphasize that he is the true vine? Well, there are two reasons. Reason number one, by calling himself true, he implies the existence of fake and false vines. Vines that promise health, that promise success and satisfaction, but in reality causes nothing but sickness, dissatisfaction, and failure. Okay? Second reason, by saying he is the vine, using the definite article, he says that 
in order for any human being, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, believer or unbeliever, in order for any person to have a life that is fruitful, that is flourishing, that is filled with flavorful joys, right? you need to have the correct vine. There's only one vine, the vine, that can do that for you, and you better make sure you have the right one. Now, there's so many implications that come out of it, but one unavoidable implications of what I am telling you is this. Every human being relies on a vine. Some sort of metaphorical source that is the source of strength, that is the source of success, that is the source of health. Every person that walks on this earth depends on a quote-unquote vine. Now, here's the thing. In our passage, Jesus warns us of a particular vine, a false vine, that he doesn't want anyone, especially his own people, to rely on. And it's the vine that he criticizes in verse 4. See if you can pick up on it. As the branches cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What is Jesus saying? I think they're okay. I think they're fine. (laughs) One more time. Verse 4. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying a branch can't be both a branch and a vine, right? A branch cannot be its own source of health. It cannot be its own source of success. It cannot be its own source of satisfaction. Now, if this is all symbolic of us, Jesus is clearly telling us something we should not forget. And that is you and I and any human being cannot rely on ourselves. We cannot depend on ourselves to be our own source of strength, our own source of satisfaction, our own source of health. And yet here's the sad reality. So many people do exactly just that. When it comes to the metaphorical source of strength, of power, of identity and hope and so forth that people rely on, It's the vine that I call the my past vine, the vine of my performance, my achievements, my strength, and my skill, P-A-S-S, my past. A lot of people believe that in order for them to access a life that is flourishing and fruitful and flavorful, they need to have their own past, P-A-S-S. Now, here's the thing. When people live this way, they're going to be hardwired to be attracted to and to prioritize certain types of people. When a person lives their life as their own vine, by their own performance, their own achievements, their own skills and strength, they're going to be conditioned to gravitate towards a certain group of people. And here's the question. What kind of people are people who live by their own past attracted to? Well, Jesus actually tells us in our passage. So let's Give him the opportunity to show us who they are by going to my next point. The vine dresser we tend to prioritize. Read again with me verse 8 of our passage. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Here Jesus tells us that when Christians bear fruit, that is live a life of health, success, and, and stability and so forth, it brings glory to God the Father. Now that word glory could be translated as praise, honor, or even worship in some instances. And what that tells us is, according to the Bible, God the Father, he's kind of a big deal. In fact, that's putting it lightly. The scriptures would say that God the Father is the biggest deal of all, right? There is no one who matches his stature, his significance, his supremacy. God the Father is the most important of all. And the point that Jesus is making here is pretty obvious. He's saying that when it comes to God's 
followers, we should be motivated by one thing when it comes to how we live our life. And that is we should live our lives in such a way that we want to bring glory to God the Father. Now by saying that, Jesus is also telling us something very astounding if you think about it. And that's the idea that God would let anything that we do with our lives bring glory to him. Are you telling me, Pastor, that the most important person of all, the biggest deal, would actually not only notice me, but actually acknowledge me and allow what I do with my life bring glory to him? I mean, we would go crazy if our celebrity crush happened to look in our direction and little crack a smile at us. How much more would the biggest deal of all, God the Father, the most important being of all, to actually acknowledge us in such a way that he would even be approving and accepting to us? Can that be true, Jesus? Jesus says, of course it is. Because don't forget who the Father is. Who is he according to Christ? He is the vine dresser. And the main job of the vine dresser is to be consumed and concerned with the well-being of the turnout of those that he is focused on, you and me. So here's the question. Do you think God the Father, the vine dresser, would ever be approving, would ever be accepting of a person trying to live their life by their own past? who are trying to get value and worth in themselves by their own performance, by their own achievements, skills, and strength? Well, Jesus tells us flat out, no, he would not. Starting in verse 4, again, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. Now, even if you don't fully understand what Jesus is saying here, you know enough to know that if you attempt to live life by your own past, you will suffer the consequences of the fire. Now, I'm going to talk about my next point, the significance of this reference to the fire, but just know that this is obviously not a good thing. We would never want to be in a situation where we'd be anywhere close to whatever this fire reference is. It should be a huge concern for us. But sad to say, for many people, it's not a concern whatsoever. Why is that? Well, think about it. If it's very easy for people to replace the true vine with the false vine of their own performance, achievements, skills, and strength, how much more easy is it to replace the true vine dresser by replacing him with vine dressers, false vine dressers that will affirm, that will acknowledge and approve your past. Indeed, that is what is the case. So many people not only try to be their own vine, but they replace the true vine dressers with false vine dressers that will affirm and approve and acknowledge their performance, their achievements, skills, and strength. But herein lies the question, who are these false vine dressers? Well, I'll tell you who they're probably not. They're probably not the impressive, the unimpressive, the unattractive, the unsuccessful, the unworthy of our society? Why is that? Well, for lack of a better word, they don't have any glory. They're not a big deal whatsoever. So where even if they did give us their approval, it would be absolutely worthless in validating our performances, our achievements, our skills, and success. You see? Why is it that when you walk into a nice restaurant in the city, you see plastered on the walls pictures, not of the restaurant's owner's mom, but of A-list celebrities seeing, eating their food with little notes on it saying, best calzone in the city or best pasta, you know, in all of New York. Why is it that when you pick up the latest book, you'll see on it praises, not from the author's unknown best friend, but the latest New York Times bestselling authors? Why do we propagate 
people like this to promote the things that we do because those are the false vine dressers that we are consumed with. Those are the people that we focus and hence prioritize. You see, we spend all of our lives trying to garner the attention, the approval, the, the recognition of what I call the four Ps of society, the powerful, the popular, the pretty, and the prosperous. The people that we tend to prioritize more than any other in our lives so that we could get their approval are the four Ps, the popular, the powerful, the pretty, and the prosperous. So going back into nerd mode, here's another formula, and it goes like this. My worth, validation, equals my pass plus the approval of the four Ps. My performance, my achievements, my strength and skills, plus the approval of the popular, the powerful, the pretty, and the prosperous, that combined gives me worth. That gives me value. That gives me significance. This is the formula that people say is the formula of success according to the world. And all the while, people who are the complete opposite of the four Ps, such as children who are orphans struggling in poverty, the elderly who are alone in their decrepit apartments, minorities who are struggling injustices within society, the disabled who are struggling in life, no one notices, no one cares, no one ever prioritizes, no one even bothers to seek out or pursue. This is the consequence of what happens when you replace the true vine, Jesus, and the true vine dresser, God the Father. You end up becoming someone who only cares about the popular, the powerful, the pretty, and the prosperous, and you could care less about those who do not meet those descriptions. So here's the question. What happens if you didn't do this? What happens if Christ is the vine that you rely on and the approval that you care for more than any other is the Father and not the four Ps of society? Well, this leads me to my final point, the only fruit worth bearing. Read again with me verses 5 and 6 of our passage where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Here Jesus speaks of what happens to those who do not bear the fruit that is a result of Jesus being the vine and the Father being the vine dresser. What happens? They're thrown into the fire. Yeah, and they're burned. Now, clearly, according to Jesus, God wants a certain kind of fruit being manifested in our lives. He wants our lives to turn out a certain way that is pleasing to him, right? Otherwise, you suffer consequences. But here's the question. What is this fruit? What is this human characteristic that God wants? Well, we get a hint of it in this reference to the fire, right? Because if you look at other teachings of Jesus where he referenced this same fire, there is a specific human behavior characteristic that is associated with it. I draw your attention to Matthew 25, starting in verse 41. It says, then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, there it is, prepared for the devil and his demons, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison. You didn't visit me then they will reply lord when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison or n and not help you and he will answer i tell you the truth when you refuse to help the least of these my brothers and sisters you were refusing to help me notice the same reference to the fire of judgment for not living a certain way that god approves of us why does god send these people to the fires well it says in verse 45 because they refuse to help the least of these. Who are the least of these? 
These are the people with the least amount of glory. These are the people who are not popular. They're not powerful. They're not prosperous. They're not pretty. And they are not the people that give any validation to your performances, your achievements, your skills, and your strength. In other words, these are not the people that society prioritizes whatsoever. Now, the implication here is, is that if you make Jesus your vine and the Father your vine dresser, you will start shifting your attention and start prioritizing these unseen, unwanted, unimpressive, unattractive people. That's what Jesus actually says in Matthew 25. Take a listen to what he says, starting in verse <coughs> Um, 34. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Now, if you're here today investigating Christianity, you might be wondering, how exactly does it work to where if you make Jesus your vine, and the approval of the Father, the only one that you care about getting the approval of, why would that make you shift your focus away from the popular, the pretty, the prosperous, and the powerful? Well, it's because of the gospel. That's why. What is the gospel? The gospel is the message that says you and I are so broken. We are so spiritually and morally broken that manifests in the form of perverted desires, selfish goals, and very disgusting and disturbing behavior. And because that's our condition, all of our performance, all of our achievements, skills, and strength are tainted with sin that rob it of any intrinsic worth and value that it would have in and of themselves. But thank God, God provides an alternative way for us to have worth and value that even exceeds the worth and value of our greatest performances, achievements, strength, and skills, even if we didn't have any sin. How? Through the gospel formula. Final formula. <laughs> I went a little nerdy this week, didn't I? Here's the formula. It goes like this. My worth and value equals Christ's pass plus the Father's approval of Christ's pass. Let me break this down. The eternal Son of God came into the world as a mortal human being, Jesus Christ, so he could offer us the worth and value that he accrued through his perfect performance, his perfect achievements, his perfect skill and strength. Yeah. And how did Jesus do this? By being our representative. When Jesus came into this world, he didn't come in as an isolated individual. He came to be our representation, to do for us what we could not do for us, to live for us the way we could not live for ourselves because of our broken condition. And anyone who looks to Jesus as their pass, as their performance, as their achievement, right, by virtue of him representing us, the gospel says the Father looks upon that with approval. How? By crediting all the worth and value from the past of Christ and passes it to us, giving us a worth and value that far exceeds any other past that we could ever acquire for ourselves. You see? And because that is true, because we have this matchless, unfathomable worth and value from Christ and the approval of the Father, it changes our mindset to where when it comes to the people we prioritize, it's not those that the world always wants to get approval and attention from. When you have value and worth through the work of Jesus and the approval of Jesus' work by the Father, you could care less about what the popular, the pretty, the prosperous, or the powerful think of you. And as a result, you can now shift your focus and attention on those that no one pays attention to. 
the unpopular, the unattractive, the unwanted, the unimpressive, because that's how God treated you when you were those things to him in your sins, you see? This is what you need to remember, Christian, the next time anyone would ever dare say to you, your faith is so dangerous. Look at what it does. All you need to say is, yes, look at what my faith does. My faith produces in me the kind of fruit that is worth bearing, where the unseen are seen, the uncared for are cared for, the neglected get focused on, the unwanted get embraced. That's the kind of faith that is That is the kind of life that our faith creates. This is something that I hope that that would give you such confidence in spite of a growing cultural climate that says that your faith is not only irrelevant, but is dangerous. No, just the opposite. Your faith is the hope of this world. Your hope actually cares for those that nobody cares for. And your faith actually shows compassion to those who get neglected. That is what your faith does. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you would consider the recent admission of a staunch atheist who was pressed to be historically honest and made this startling confession. This is what Bart Ehrman once said in a recent interview, quote, in the Roman world generally, in the ancient world generally, in the world generally, the ideology was one of dominance. Whoever was dominant had no ethical problem dominating somebody. That was what they're supposed to do. A powerful village had no problem destroying the village next door, killing the men and enslaving the women. You could read the discourses of the Romans and Greeks, and they had no problems with things like genocide and slavery, of course. But Jesus preached service and helping the poor, and it was completely contrary to what was dominant, what the dominant paradigm was, end quote. If an, his, if an atheist historian has no choice but to admit that historically speaking, our faith was a tremendous source of blessing and neutralized so much danger in the world, Christian, don't you think you should have faith and have boldness to live out your own belief of what the gospel does in your life. The gospel is not a danger to the world. The gospel is the greatest hope of the world. And it's time that Christians stop being so embarrassed and so ashamed to live that out because it is so true. Jesus is the true vine. The Father is the only vine dresser. Live out the worth and the value that you get from that and start focusing on those that the world could care less about, those whom God says is so precious. That is what I hope that you will take away from today's message. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the kinds of people that we crave the attention, the approval, and the acceptance of, Lord, it makes us wonder if we're living by the formula of success according to society and not the formula of success according to the word of God. Father, as we think about (coughs) the fruit of our lives and how it is going, Father, we really wonder if it is the kind of fruit that is pleasing to you or simply pleasing to the powerful, the popular, the pretty, and the prosperous. Father, we pray that when it comes to the only vine that we depend on, let it just be your son and his performance, his achievements, his strength and skills, and not our own. And when it comes to the vine dresser that we want the affections and the acknowledgement from, let it not be the false vine dressers of this world, but only the true vine dresser whose approval matters more than anyone else's help us to live this out so that we can live out the blessing that you call us to be for those around us who desperately need the care the concern and the compassion just as you did for us when we were in our sins help us to live out this truth for we ask in jesus name amen